everyone, and welcome to the 40th episode of the Boundless Business Podcast. As always, it is Larissa, Justine, and Nico here. Team, good morning. How are you feeling today? Feeling good. Excited for Halloween. Yeah, it's cold outside. I mean, cold outside in Phoenix is relative, <laughs> right? It's not. It's, I'm cold at like 70 degrees now, but <laughs> it feels like yeah. fall, kind of. It does. It does feel like fall-ish. I saw a leaf fall on a tree today, uh, so that's kind of the Arizona fall. So, with that being said, what's our topic today? What are we talking about today? We're gonna do a little Q and A to Ooh. celebrate our fortieth episode. Just thought we'd answer some frequently asked questions. Um, so yeah, we're gonna hear your answers. Let's get started with. Um, do you recommend referring people out if you can't help them? And then how do we usually do this? Like, how do we go about referring people out to other service providers? Nico and I have been talking a lot about this. Yes. Uh, you should be referring people out if you cannot help them. It basically just means those people can turn into passive income for you and your agency. So if you can't help them, that's okay. Get them to somebody who can. There is a lot of value to be made that way. And they're still getting ultimately what they care about, right? Which is a good, you know, agency to help them with their, with their needs, whatever those might be. Uh, and you get to win because if you make the introduction and you know what they need, you can start getting that referral income. Yeah. So let's take a quick step back though, before we're going to get into the logistics behind what we're talking about. So at any given point, i.e. if you're starting your agency, if you're growing it, if it's a mature, if you're ready to sell, there are going to be clients that are great fits for you. We call them green clients. Like they are, going, you know, with a very high degree of certainty that you can help these individuals. And you know that when you work with them, it's going to be a profitable endeavor. Now, those are the ones you should always strive to get. And in the Win Without Pitching Manifesto, Blair Ends talks about if he could do anything in the world, he would make it a mandate for every agency to only have eight to 15 with an average of 10 clients. Now, if you want to make a million dollars a year and you can only do that with 10 clients, then each client has to be worth $100,000. And the reason I bring that up is sometimes when we're different stages of our agency, maybe we're a full stack agency. And as we mature, we start niching down into a product service niche. It doesn't really matter. But at different points, you might want to refer people up, right? So you are too early in your journey or you're too far in your journey and they're just too early, right? So uh, when we're talking about referrals, it's knowing that there will always be a new client that will come. And part of our journey as hosts of this podcast is to say that the world is actually full of abundance. So if you get a lead in and they're not a 100% great fit, then you have to say, can... I work with them to get them closer to 100% or in the long term, is this just a, a cash opportunity? And you have to be real with yourself because even I struggle with that. Like I'm like, and I have to talk to Larissa about this where I'm like, I think we can help them, but we're not really proven. Then with, with those clients, we tend to have to say no, right? Uh, just because like, why work with someone? Uh, work with someone with the finite resources that we have uh, that we can't really do amazing work for and they can't be a long-term client because that's what we're striving for. We only really want long-term engagements. Most of our expenses as agency owners comes in the onboarding and, and first couple months. After that, they're really profitable. So if they churn after two, three months, you're actually not making that much money. So 
to Larissa's point, you might want to refer someone out. So let's say that you do SEO work and you really are good with home improvement based companies and someone who's a dentist comes. Could you help them? Probably. You probably have the skill sets to do if SEO is the, the thing that they do think can help them the most. But if you have a friend that only does SEO for dentists and you know that he keeps clients for years and years and years, maybe negotiate a 5 to 10% referral fee. So with that, because the learning curve for you to work with them, it might take you instead of 10 hours to set up 40 hours. And there's opportunity cost there. You might lose out on three new clients instead of one, right? So that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's like knowing that life is full of opportunities. And if you can't help someone and you can still profit from what you've built as an agency, which means you're acquiring traffic and really honestly get passive income from that. Why not? Why not go down that route? I mean, that's pretty much the gist is like, uh, spend your time and effort focusing on helping people that you can help and that you want to help. Uh, the only other thing I guess it's important to add is if somebody seems like they'd be an annoying client, don't take them on. Like, whatever don't you deem as annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a very personal question. Uh, if you think they would be an annoying client to have, no matter the money, don't do it. Refer them to somebody who's a better fit for them. Save yourself the sanity. It's easy for us to say, right? So the we've taken two and a half years, three years to build a pipeline where now we're you know, we're good. Like we're at this point in our agency where the only people we want to work with are the ones that we know we can do great work for. And that there's a culture, there isn't a culture, culture clash. There's something really great between the two organizations. And we strive for 12 month plus engagements now, not saying that that's how we build, but I mean, it's great knowing that you're going to be with someone for a year because you get to share ups, downs, you know, change your plan, uh, honestly, increase scope, uh, increase profit. Like that's the way we're thinking. But when you're early, early on, let's say that you're really good at Facebook ads and you're launching a Facebook ads agency and someone comes to you with SEO help or PPC, find a partner that you can start growing a long-term relationship with that can take that client. They already have the processes, systems, teams, uh, success stories and refer them out or and definitely the biggest things like negotiate terms. Like I only negotiate you know, five to 10% LTV um, before I send a referral, right? So there's some work on your side, but I mean, why not do something like that? Like it's, it's still going to help your agency and helps you to focus on actually what you're great at. So kind of the other side of referrals, um, what are some tips for like asking current clients for referrals for people in their network? Different ways to ask for referrals. One is direct and one is indirect. So directly asking is go to your green clients, the ones that love you so much, you know, that would come to your birthday party without, you know, <laughs> you should probably, you know, they should probably get an invite and not just show up. because that'd be kind of weird. But people who would just hang, you would hang out with on the weekends and that you really do great work for, you can go to them and say, okay, what type of client is closest to this individual? Well, the average person runs, you know, has, you know, we've all heard that expression, you're the, the sum of the five people around you. So who, who are those five, 10, 15 people around that person that is similar, right? Similar business types, similar in, in, the, in the character that they are. And look at how you could be of service to that individual. So let's say that 
like in, in our case, you know, we're working, let's let's say uh, someone, someone only works with um, uh, real estate companies, right? So they have a client in uh, Salt Lake City, right? And they do amazing work for them. You can go and see what, what organizations they're part of, right? Your, your client and say, oh, okay, they, they are in this organization and they have this friend uh, because you can see that they've co-hosted a panel together or something like that. And when you go to the friend's website, they have broken links or the social, they haven't done social media in a year or something like that. You can then reach out to your client and say, hey, um, client, and enter like a recent win, right? Amazing that we're now ranking on the first page for best real estate agents in Utah, right? So uh, well, I noticed that your friends would enter friend's name. I noticed problem on his website or opportunity to improve. Do you mind connecting us so I can exactly show him how to fix that? Now, that's a direct way of asking. Worked really well. It's take like extra three minutes, but your chances of getting a referral are so much higher because you're leading with value. Indirect is inviting them to do collaboration on content, right? Maybe a podcast, YouTube show, live. Just put out a newsletter together where you can work with your client, create those pieces of content, post-produce them, and they will start sharing that with their network. You can see who's interacting with that and repeat the same process. So those are direct and indirect ways to do that. Or so I don't know if you have any other hacks or anything around that. It ultimately comes down to a personal relationship, right? If you if you do great work for them, uh, they're going to want to recommend people to you. Also, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, offering those referrals back to them to incentivize them to bring people to you can be really helpful too. Yeah, great. Yeah, so if you refer business out, pay them five, 10%, do the same thing for you. Yes, that might be a more quote unquote expensive way to acquire, but I mean, you don't have to invest in <laughs> like what though. we have. Yeah, you don't, have, yeah. you don't have to invest in outbound. You don't have to invest in marketing to get those new leads. Yeah. But you probably would have spent five to 10% of their value anyway, just on marketing. 100%. Yeah, so incentivize people to do so. It's it's great. Yeah, it's a great, great share. Awesome. Um, what are some common reasons campaigns don't really perform well on either LinkedIn or email? Like what are some of the most common reasons we've seen? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say one of the key things is length, like making your messaging too long. Um, like it's, there's so many different things in, in this that it really can boil down to, right? We'll simplify it by saying it's either your messaging or your data. It's one of those two things that you did wrong. Possibly, probably both. So like that's where problems lie. So you typically usually want to start by fixing your data because a great message sent to the wrong person doesn't matter. So make sure you're only reaching out to the right people and be as specific there as you can. Then your messaging. We see people where the messaging is too long or they go in directly for the sell a lot of the time without building any rapport, without giving any uh, any case studies, without even proving themselves. Um, and a lot of that comes back to like they make it about them, not about the prospect. 
So focus on the person you're reaching out to. How do you craft a message that gets them interested in you? It's not like, it's not the same as pitching yourself. Like there's a big difference. It's not the same as being like, hi, this is me. This is what I do. You know, here's all, here's everything about my life. You know, in reality, they don't care about you. They care about how you can help them. So structuring all of your content in that way to be providing value to them in one way or another, or to be able to see if you can help them, that is way different than coming in and saying, here's my pitch. It's seven paragraphs long. No one's going to read it. Yeah. And I think for me, it's having a product service offering that the market doesn't care about. So one of the hardest parts, especially where we are today, is like a lot of people are passionate about Web3, right? So Web3 technology. And that's great. I think it it is going to change multiple landscapes. And, you know, the metaverse is very interesting. But does the insurance agent really need to know about that? Or if your offer is related to that, how does it help them? Right? So like, there are great technologies, there are great solutions, but it might not be great or pertinent to a specific group of people. So do I really need, does Boundless Media really need an NFT? I don't think so. <laughs> There's no real value to our clients or the ecosystem around that. So if we're an agency selling agencies, the ability to make NFTs, I don't think there would be product market fit. So know that like there has to be something valuable that you're bringing to the the market, right? Whether it's expertise, uh, resources, you know, processes, systems, there has to be something valuable. And the easiest thing is, does it make someone money or does it save someone money? If you can answer those two questions and have data to support that, this is a, there might be, there might be product market fit. Now, does your messaging, like Russ was saying, need to change and fit and mold? Yeah, absolutely. But it's a better place to start. Going back to what Larissa said about data affecting the campaign, can your data source affect the campaign at all? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different places you can get data. In some messaging, we actually tell people, hey, we found you here. Like, this is why we're reaching out to you. We saw you on this uh, review site or this platform or whatever. Like, this is where we found you and we think we should reach out to you. The source of the data matters a lot in a lot of ways. So you need to make sure you're validating all of the information that you get from these sources because there's no point in reaching out to somebody. Again, that's a bad fit. So if you have, if you pay $5 a month for a data platform to be able to collect data on anybody in the world, right? Well, I would bet that for five bucks a month, the data quality isn't going to be very good. So they're going to give you lists that are inaccurate. So of course that matters. Yeah. And also again, back to the niche, right? Like you don't want to reach out to companies that are, you know, let's say that you're selling a hundred thousand dollar website or something like that, right? Sure. Then reach out to companies that just started unless they have a ton and ton of funding, which comes with its own problems. Right. Uh, nor do you want to reach out, like Larissa is saying, to you know, Amazon and uh, sell them leads because <laughs> they probably don't care about that. Maybe a department within Amazon, but 
you know, if you're emailing Jeff Bezos, he's not going to look at that. My next question is, how many emails do you usually recommend sending on a single domain and how to avoid getting a domain blacklisted? Great question. So first thing you want to do, you need to be warming up those emails. You need to do that for at least two weeks before you send a single outbound email from them. And then you need to do it not just for those two weeks, you need to do that continuously. Those emails need to be warmed. When we say warming, Google email warmer, and you can find lots of different ones uh, that basically you plug it in, it will send emails out on their behalf. And then ones that, uh, if, if it gets sent in spam, it will take that out of the spam box and, and mark as good and helps keep the domain health good. Now, don't get me wrong, you're going to burn through domains, it happens. So don't get too emotionally attached to that. Yeah. And for me, it's like, just don't like, don't add pictures, links, gifts. I know there are individuals that really do preach that. I don't because those are tactics. Show your opens. Yeah, they, they do. And, and those are tactics, right? Like that will help you if you know, some, some people use it as a crutch, right? So without, you know, focusing on the actual clear message, right? Um, they, they use that and it might, you might see an uplift in people responding, but does it actually lead to sales? You won't know un unless you're actually, you have data to support that, right? So if a campaign has a 1% click-through, right? And you know that because you sent a thousand emails. Well, if you add tactic A and it goes to 1.5, then you know. But if you just do both new copy with new you know images or tactics, Sure, like you might see that 1.5, but you won't know why, and then you won't be able to repeat it. And when something changes, like the gift goes out of fashion or whatever, then you're kind of stuck twiddling your thumbs. Yeah, the only other real point that I think is important here is, again, make sure you understand sample size. So don't make decisions based off of a 12 email campaign. You send out 12 emails and you get six opens. You're like, wow, that's a 50% open rate. That's awesome. Yeah, but you only sent out 12. It's not enough data to make any realistic decisions on. You need, you need scale to fully be able to make those decisions. A good place to start is at least 100. So that's even low. Ideally, it'd be over 250 on a campaign to really understand how it does. At 100, though, and you see that like it's not doing so hot, that's probably a realistic amount, right? So if it's not doing well, you've sent out 100 emails, you're like, oh, I have a 4% open rate. Don't bother sending the next 150 because you've got a lot of problems you need to fix first. Um, but to Nico's point, make sure you're fixing things one piece at a time so you know what you did that works. It's, it's not a race to get everything perfect week one. You want to make sure you're doing iterative changes over and over and over again with the goal being to inch up you're not necessarily trying to go from 5% to 18. That's a huge jump, right? And although that's awesome, and if you get that, that's great, but that's not your goal. Your goal is to get from five to six. If you happen to go to 18, that's really great. Your goal is to inch. Um, Nico, you often send Loom videos to prospects. What advice would you give to someone who wants to create a compelling Loom video to send to a prospect in order to get them on to a call. Yeah, I usually just, I'm very straight up about it. I'm like, whatever I'm going to say in an email, I'm just going to repeat on the video. So let's say someone's like, how much does it cost? I'll shoot a video and say, hey, great question. So um, 
typically most of our clients spend anywhere between like $500 and $10,000 without knowing exactly what we're trying to do. I can't really show you, I can't give you a price, right? <laughs> like, and I'll make a joke, right? It's like, hey, you do website development. It's like, hey, I need a website. Great. I can build you a $100,000 website or a $5 website. So let's jump on the call and time one, two, three. So we can just diagnose exactly what your goals is and I can just give you a better, better price. Um, so could I have written out an email like that? Yes, but I'm selling myself. Now, let's say there is someone I met with and they have a question, right, about a proposal. I'll then shoot a video addressing exactly what they had and giving my one, two, three, because often the written word, there's different meaning to something than uh, over a call, right? So they're like, hey, I'm looking at your one pager. What does this word mean? I can say, oh, it means this and this is how, you know, part of the program and actually upselling the value with it. So it's basically whatever I'm going to write, I just record and I visually walk them through it. So instead of, you know, the video just being me, I'm like, okay, hey, we're, you know, here I'm looking at the contract. This is your question. That makes sense. This is why we would put it in here. Oh, you don't like this. That's fine. We can do to make changes. If you approve it, I can send you updated one, you know, updated contract or more resources or whatever that means. Sweet. Um, last question I have here for you guys. What are some CTAs or types of CTAs that we have found to be the most effective in campaigns? For me, it's would it be a horrible, <laughs> would it be a bad idea or horrible idea to do blank, jumping on call, move on, move to next steps, work together. I learned that from Jordan Ross three years ago, two years ago, whatever it was, but I like it because it's like, no, it's not a horrible idea. Like that's how I get most people on the phone. I'm like, like, uh, you know, tomorrow's busy. I'm like, oh, great. Makes sense. Uh, it would be a horrible idea to just chat for two minutes. You know, it wouldn't be a horrible idea. It'd be a bad idea, but not horrible. And then they're like, ha, 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 ha. And then we book a time. So I feel like, so CTAs are tricky to say like one works because it very much depends on your overall messaging, what, it, what, a, what, a, what your end goal is, right? Um, but yeah, I definitely think, you know, similar to Nico's point, open-ended questions to a certain degree, open-ended, but single word responses, right? Would it be a horrible idea to do this? Yes or no? What kind of open-ended, but like more like yes, no type questions to sort of get them to have a conversation as opposed to asking somebody to say, tell me everything about you in your life. They're not going to do that, but they might respond and say, sure that's a much lower like barrier to entry. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so those are all the questions I had. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you kind of want to tell our audience before we ended off here? Uh, no, we talked about so many topics. The biggest thing is like, what's the goal, right? And the biggest takeaway I've, uh, that I learned this week was there is only really three ways to, to grow an agency, right? There is get more clients, you can have the clients that you have stay longer, or you can make the clients that you sign more valuable, right? So most of the time I'm talking to people who want to grow their company. You don't really have to grow your company's uh, like logistics and operations. Uh, so, sometimes there's very simple tweaks that you can do on the, on the front end to get more people in that are profitable. So that's the only thing I've learned that I'm happy to share. Well, 
I think that wraps up our 40th episode then. I can't believe it's already been 40. That's crazy. Yeah, right. It's going to be 52 very, very soon. We'll have to do something special for 50. But yeah, if there's any questions, let Larissa, I, or Justine know. Uh, you can just email me at nicogetboundlessmedia.com, YouTube channel, getboundlessmedia.com, website, getboundlessmedia.com, anything uh, social, getboundlessmedia.com. You guys have a fantastic day. And if you have any other questions, please let us know. Peace.